I'm Tom Emmer, as Peter told you, and thank you, uh, Jim, Peter, everybody with the Ripon Society. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for inviting us this morning. What I'll do very quickly is just tell you how I came to be involved with the Cuba issue, why I think it's so important, where we're at, and where I hope we're going, uh, our, our ongoing conversations with the administration, and turn it over to Kathy uh, and uh, Darren, uh, and then I guess we're going to do some question and answer. But first, uh, I have to tell you, as a Minnesotan, I mean, you probably understand, maybe Darren will give you some of the same uh, uh, spin as a guy from Illinois, which is, you know, our southern, warmer neighbor uh, in Minnesota. <laughs> um, but you'd wonder, why would a Minnesotan care about Cuba? What's really interesting is one of the first uh, business groups to visit Cuba in the late 70s, when uh, President Carter was uh, loosening up the travel restrictions, happened to be a group from Minnesota. Uh, we are home still to 17 Fortune 500 companies, and we have uh, agriculture and manufacturing is the two primary drivers of our state's uh, private economy. Minnesota is all about trade, uh, and we also have a population that's all about trying to help uh, other people. So. When Cuba was a possibility, you had not only folks going down to Cuba from Minnesota for commerce uh, possibilities, potential, but also to try and help. Uh, as we saw in the late 90s, uh, I guess it was mid to late 90s, and since the turn of the century, in trying to help with medical supplies and agricultural products. But for me, I came to Congress a couple years back as more of a cold warrior mentality, because like Peter uh, talked about, you know, there's this island off the coast of Florida. There's this guy, Fidel Castro. He's supposed to be a bad guy. These are not supposed to be our friends, etc. I, I took a trip in June of 2015 to the island, and it just completely changed my view of the people on the island. They want a relationship with the United States of America, and I talk about how important it is from an economic standpoint, the opportunity uh, to travel, the opportunity for the hospitality industry, for our agricultural industry. You can go down the lit manufacturers. But for me, the real issue is not repeating history. I mean, if you think about this, this is more about our national security for me than anything else. We have an island that's 90 miles off of our Florida coast. Uh, it is in our backyard. It is a key to our relationships in the entire Western Hemisphere uh, at this point in time. And we have people in our government today who still want to continue a policy that has, frankly, been an abject failure. Uh, why? Well, because I guess they think doing the same thing over and over again and uh, not getting a, a different result is not the definition of insanity, I guess. But I, I study Cuba. And if you look at their history, after what, uh, and somebody can correct me, like 500, 600 years of brutal Spanish rule, some uh, long period, I guess it was 300, I'm, I'm doubling it, but you've got it, three to 400, they get their independence at the end of the 19th century with the help of the United States. From that point forward, they have had one corrupt dictator, more corrupt and more brutal than the previous, ending, uh, well, up to the current folks, the Castro brothers. Uh, and we put in an embargo to do what? In 1961, 60-61, we put this embargo in to undermine the Castro regime. And in, in effect, what it's done is just the opposite. It has empowered the Castro regime at the expense of the Cuban people, the very people we're trying to help. And so we're going to keep doing this over and over. It makes no sense. 
Uh, I think President Obama, uh, he always pushed the line in my mind when it came to his, uh, his uh, powers uh, in the uh, executive office. But that isn't uh, just a uh, Barack Obama thing. That, that's a Republican problem. This has been coming for years, right? But he did, I think, as much as you could do to try and normalize this thing. And frankly, from my perspective, we should continue there because here's what I hear over and over. I hear that uh, this is a bad regime. These are bad people. Uh, we are going to have to make sure that they're out of power before we've got to get human rights things taken care of, the human rights abuses. All of these things have to be fixed before we can normalize. You know what? They made more advances when uh, Barack Obama took his delegation in terms of human rights. When he took his delegation down to Cuba, uh, is it almost two years ago now? Uh, they made more advances, I think, in that week on the human rights front, which has now slid back, uh, I'm afraid, because uh, of the new policy, uh, than they had made in years. Why? Because we were there. We're there. You can't possibly change the human rights abuses if you're not on the island, if you're not present and uh, creating some accountability and transparency. So at the end of the day, this is what you have to look at. If we continue down the road we're, we're pursuing, you actually risk having someone else move into Cuba, someone that does not have the United States' best interest in mind. Is it going to be China? Is it going to be Russia? Could it be the Iranians? Uh, someone will fill that void if we're not there. And I, I was very disappointed uh, in the, with the administration. Darren and I had several meetings with them. Uh, unfortunately, we were not included in the meetings that they were having with uh, a very small group. I would suggest to you that there are a handful of people that actually crafted the policy that I brought with me, this memorandum, uh, with the administration, and it didn't include any of us. Uh, these people, uh, it's, it's more of a personal issue as far as I'm concerned, an emotional issue. And as we've explained to the administration, you said you were keeping your promise by uh, creating this memorandum. In fact, you're breaking your number one promise to the American people, and that's to ensure the safety and security of Americans and the America, the, the United States homeland. I, that's what I think we are we're making a mistake. And where are we at? We're trying to work with uh, the administration right now to get clarity on what this uh, memorandum actually means. Clarity for our business folks so they know what opportunities they can explore. Clarity for uh, Americans that want to travel to Cuba. And I, I, right now, I can't tell you that I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, well, I'm always hopeful, but I can't tell you that we're, uh, we're making progress because it seems to be just as vague today as it was when they put this out. I, I will tell you on the legislative front, and then I'm going to compliment Kathy and turn it over to her. We had both the travel amendment and the agricultural financing amendment that were offered uh, as amendments to the, uh, the appropriations omnibus package that we're going to be voting on. They were both ruled out of order, which was interesting uh, because they had been in order, I think, two years ago now, uh, or a year ago anyway, and they would have passed the floor. Uh, again, I think a very small group of people is controlling this issue within our government. And in the words of my friend Darren LaHood, uh, one day when we sat with the administration, uh, and I want to quote him, he looked at him and he said, you are going to be on the wrong side of history. You need to get this right, because uh, this is where we're going. If you want to protect the American people, if you want to have a free and open Cuba, then you need to continue opening up uh, the relationship with Cuba. So I'm very happy uh, that you invited us here to have this discussion. I'm looking forward to the question and answers. 
And as I turn it over to Kathy Castor, I have to tell you, uh, as I got here, it's all about relationships, and you need to meet people on both sides of the aisle. Because uh, for me, I don't. Some days I wonder what a Republican is. I wonder what a Democrat is. Uh, it's about good people. And Kathy Castor, not only it's interesting that she was named uh, Female Politician of the Year or whatever. Uh, it probably wasn't a fair competition, but she has been a champion to work with. Uh, this lady knows her stuff. She is a professional, she's a class act, and I'm proud to have her as a, a colleague kind of teaching us the ropes as we go through this process with the Cuba Working Group and try to change this policy for the better of everybody in Cuba and this country. So I turn it over to Kathy Castor. Well, thank you. That's very generous. And let me tell you, uh, Tom Emmer is one of the premier leaders in the United States Congress today. I mean, being willing to take this on for his state and for the betterment of the Cuban people and the American people, and whether we're talking about business opportunities or human rights, uh, the Cuban Working Group, we are best when we are working in a bipartisan way. And I want to thank the, the Rapunzel Society and the Franklin Center and all of you for, for being here today. We need your help. And uh, it's really great to have Darren here too, bringing a newfound energy with a lot of experience uh, as well to the Cuban work group. But we really need your help. Uh, think about how long this Cold War policy has been in place. Over 50 years, the embargo. And a, a bar on the ability of Americans to travel freely. I mean, Americans can travel anywhere in the world they, up until recently, you could go to North Korea, you could go to Iran, you could go to Syria. And what is it about this policy that says Americans don't have the fundamental right to travel that they enjoy everywhere else in the world? That's wrong. Uh, and the embargo is wrong. And it's outdated. It's outlived its usefulness, and it's causing a lot of damage. Uh, you might be saying, wow, a Floridian who is uh, pro-engagement on Cuba. And here's why. When I was elected to the Congress in 2006. Uh, I was a partner in a law firm, a, a, a local government official, didn't really deal with foreign affairs issues that uh, very much. The number one uh, constituent matter in my office in Tampa was just trying to work through the bureaucratic red tape to try to get families to travel an hour away to see each other whether it was the, the grandkids to see their dying grandmother for the last time, or I even had a case where it was, we had a terrible case of a, a family, a person, a brother with cancer, and the bone marrow match was a sister in Cuba, and trying, just think about the agony that they're going through, and yet yeah, we're gonna subject them to that kind of bureaucratic red tape and have to fight with State Department and others just to try to get them on that hour flight. So it was very eye-opening to me, and and that's what helped me uh, take on this issue, because I think if we're going to improve human rights on the island of Cuba, we're going to improve business opportunities here in America and in Cuba, we've got to go full bore in a policy of engagement and turn the page on these Cold War policies of the past. Uh, the issue has been in the Congress that it's, it simply doesn't, when you talk about Cuba, for your average member of Congress, it's not high on their list, right? What, they have to have some interest. Meanwhile, some members of Congress, 
a handful in the U.S. Senate, it is their top issue. Back home, their constituents have said, hammer them, punish them, punish them. And that's the way it's been for 50 years. Meanwhile, think about uh, during the time the embargo's been in place, we fought a war with Vietnam, uh, have reconciled, and Vietnam now, their economic output and our relationships are much healthier. And yet Cuba, 90 miles off the coast of the United States, remains stuck. Uh, and I often think that it's the governments that get in the way. Uh, the U.S. government and the government of Cuba. So I think the Obama policy was right to empower everyday Cubans. And just in the times that I've traveled earlier in my congressional tenure uh, and, and years later, I've seen a dramatic change in the ability of these Puente Propistas, the small business owners, to uh, build these businesses, employ <coughs> folks, give them a new lease on life. Because the wages there are very low, except in the sectors where the Cuban government has allowed openings, whether it's in restaurants or uh, in the Airbnb space or some technology. These folks are creative and dynamic, and they need support. And by closing down the ability of Americans to travel or putting pressure on uh, their families not to send remittances and help them or to block uh, the ability of American businesses to partner uh, is, is simply counterproductive in this day and age. Um, we can do so much better, and we, we really need your help to, to talk, to help a member of Congress raise this on their to-do list. Uh, talk to the administration and the Commerce Department and the State Department. Uh, begin, if, how many of you have traveled to Cuba? See, not enough. You need to, you need to go to really understand a lot of the barriers and a lot of the opportunities. Um, we're not going to let the Cuban government off the hook, however. The, I know we'll probably get a question about the latest uh, uh, issue of uh, some strange sonar device that is, is causing uh, harm to some of our diplomats. That's outrageous. I mean, it's the American diplomats and the Canadian diplomats, you know, the Cubans are saying, we didn't really have anything to do with it. We stand by protection of our diplomats. We, do, we wouldn't want harm to come to Cuban diplomats in America or anywhere in the world. Uh, this is part of the ongoing soap opera and saga of Cuba that is going to continue to fester like this and cause harm unless we really do turn the page and lift that embargo and allow American ingenuity and American businesses to partner with the very dynamic Cuban people to help them, uh, help them progress. They're, I think they're ready. They're, uh, in the Tampa community, I'm very proud of, of them there. They have pushed. Uh, we're a little different than Miami because uh, many of the uh, many Cubans traveled, immigrated to America in the late 1800s, 1900s to work in cigar factories. Uh, Tampa is also known as Cigar City, and uh, these immigrants uh, understand uh, a better life. And they, they, many of them did not come after the Cuban Re Revolution where Fidel Castro took everything away from them. But we have all sorts of generations in Tampa. They have pressed for the practical 
engagement, uh, and it's happening every day, whether it's our aquarium doing scientific research off the coast. Today in the Tampa Bay Times, another story about the Mamba Cancer Center in Tampa hosting 24 doctors from Cuba on cancer research. Uh, a, the St. Lawrence Catholic Church in Tampa is building the first new Catholic parish on the island of Cuba. Uh, we have very robust arts exchanges and cultural exchanges. A lot of this is, is new, and it wasn't happening to the extent, uh, to this extent, five years ago. And we've got to continue these, these engagements. Look at now Carnival Cruises. Uh, the mo one of the most popular cruises now is to go to Havana. Uh, the new flight called Godsend for families and business owners that want to make that short flight. They, uh, you've heard a lot of the airlines that are readjusting some of the flights in Tampa. We, there are record boardings there because Southwest Airlines has a flight that's under $100 to take that one-hour flight uh, to Cuba. They've now boarded more passengers this year than. Uh, last year, and it's going to continue to grow. But these restrictions on business opportunities and the ability of Americans to travel, uh, the problems with the Cuban government uh, not opening up business opportunities for their people is going to continue to be a problem unless people like us press and push businesses, churches, human rights advocates. We've got to help raise this uh, on the priority list for members of Congress, and I, and I we would all appreciate your help. It's going to be the business community, uh, the religious community, that I think helps bring about real change. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me here today. And Jim, thank you and the Ripon Society. Uh, the only reason why I'm here is Jim promised I could sit in these chairs up here. So, Jim, thank you. This is special to be up here. Um, uh, thank you for uh, everybody in the room and what you do uh, and uh, for taking an interest in this issue. And uh, I agree with everything that uh, both Tom and Kathy said. Uh, both of them, Tom and our Republican Party and Kathy and the Democratic Party, have been the real leaders on this issue uh, and, and have been the go-to people in, in both caucuses. And, I would just tell you, our U.S.-Cuba working group in the House, take a look at that group. You talk about diversity, from Freedom Caucus members to Barbara Lee to everybody in between, uh, but all people that care deeply about this issue. And I think it says a lot about uh, you know, the support that we have and the commitment and dedication on this issue in the Congress. And, and uh, you know, but I would just tell you this, but for a small group of people in South Florida, and a couple people, or a couple of uh, folks in New Jersey, we wouldn't even be having this conversation today uh, because it is a, a, a small but vocal uh, group of elected officials uh, and folks down in the Miami area and, and pockets of other areas that have uh, really, I think, been the ones that have stopped progress from moving forward. And we could talk about the politics of that and the dynamics of that, but uh, for a district like mine, I have probably the most Republican district in the state of Illinois. Uh, Trump won my district overwhelmingly, got the most votes in, in our district, uh, central and west central Illinois. And uh, so people ask, well, wh why do you have an issue in this? And really, for, uh, for me, it's jobs and economic opportunities. Uh, uh, of the 435 congressional districts, ours is the ninth largest in terms of corn and soybean production. Uh, Caterpillar's headquartered in our district, John Deere, ADM. And I look at the economic opportunities, what trade has done 
uh, for a district like mine. Now, Cuba is very small, a very small market, but to be able to load up grain on the Mississippi River or the Illinois River, go down through the Gulf and go anywhere in the world and uh, go to Cuba from there, it's an opportunity for us. And, you know, my conservative farmers and the folks that live in my district, they understand it. They get it. Why can't we do this? Why don't we have a market? Why don't you open this up? Well, and you try to explain to them, well, you know, the reason for that, and it's, it's, it's difficult to, to do that. And uh, listen, we all believe in human rights. We believe in democracy. Uh, we don't like dictators. We don't like what Castro and his regime is engaged in. But, you know, uh, again, economic opportunities, trade helps all boats rise. We've seen that around the world. Uh, engagement, economic opportunities, economic freedom, that, that helps uh, get countries out of that socialist mentality. And Kathy mentioned Vietnam. I don't think there's a better example of that, of, you know, uh, you know, where we were with Vietnam 20 or 30 years ago and where we are now. They're one of our biggest trading partners. You know, they buy so many goods from the United States, and that continues to... Uh, benefit the U.S. and also benefit the people in, in Vietnam. And uh, so this is um, unfortunately an issue that um, under the new administration has kind of come to a, a standstill. And Tom and I did engage in, in uh, numerous conversations with the administration on their policy and how they formulated it. And in the end, I think they listened to those loudest voices. And part of that is politics of running on a number of these issues and and looking at, at, at votes and not looking at good public policy. Uh, but, you know, um, there is a movement out there on this issue that's going to continue to move forward in the Congress here. It's going to continue to move forward on the economics and the business side of it. Uh, and uh, again, the, uh, the history, um, you know, uh, proves that, you, you know, engagement and economic opportunities are going to win out in the end. How soon that happens uh, is, is another story. It's unfortunate that. Uh, as Tom referenced, we had two uh, amendments to the appropriations bills that, um, you know, should have been made in order and I think would pass. But, you know, for whatever reason, they don't want to deal with the controversy that's going to come about from that. And uh, that's very, very unfortunate. And um, <coughs> having the help from the Chamber of Commerces and business communities are going to be vitally important moving forward. Uh, and uh, again, getting the uh, attention of the administration. And I, and, and I, would, I would say... Um, you know, uh, when, when you think about the, the, I guess, the rhetoric uh, that's been out there, go back and watch, um, you know, when, when Secretary Tillerson testified in the Senate and look at the questions that came from some of the Florida folks on that. I mean, just, you know, uh, again, you, you think you're thinking about the, the Soviet Union back, you know, 30 years ago, but, uh, you know, there, there, are, um, there are a lot more voices that I think represent what we represent up, up here than on the other side of it. Uh, but we're gonna constantly have to continue to educate the new administration uh, on the importance of trade and economic opportunities and uh, the, the, the tourism that will flow. Uh, think about how many of you have been to the Caribbean, whether it's Jamaica or the Virgin Islands or Mexico or Bahamas. Uh, that's what Cuba should be for uh, tourists from the United States. And unfortunately, we're not there yet. Uh, and we got, we got a ways to go with this administration in my view. So. Uh, thank you for having me here today. One thing that uh, uh, we didn't mention is I am the co-chair of the Soccer Caucus with Kathy Castor. She's the other co-chair, so I need to mention that. So they won this year, by the way. So anyway, thank you for having me. So we have a, a, a little time for Q&A. Mr. Bagans, you did such a great job. They are pigs. Um, I'll let you... Uh, Start with the first question. 
Okay, thanks. Um, this is, I think, primarily for Kathy, but everyone can weigh in. Generationally, what are you seeing different uh, uh, among you in Florida? Uh, Huge in changes. Uh, despite the fact that the president went down to a few months ago to make an announcement that he was rolling back the Obama-era policies on Cuba, nothing, things haven't, the, the policy didn't change that much. It confuses everything. And then you would have thought, oh my gosh, Miami-Dade County went big for President Trump, but that's, that didn't happen. Um, and the, the younger generation of Cubans, and even a good portion of the older generation who had to leave were forced to leave after the Castro Revolution now. Uh, understand that the embargo has instead empowered the Castro regime, and it has hurt everyday Cubans. And they, uh, this will help change policy over time. You know, they're going to, when uh, Congresswoman Ross Lightman retires, there'll be a very competitive election. This will be central to who is elected there, and it will impact uh, policy here in the Congress. Uh, Congressman Mario Villas-Balart is uh, a good friend. Uh, he uh, is on the Appropriations Committee, and he will keep this issue front and center for, for him. But his constituents are also changing. Then um, there'll be another competitive uh, congressional race there. In Florida, we're going to have a United States Senate race this year and a gubernatorial race. And these issues will be the, um, I wouldn't say it's the top issue, but it's a middle tier issue. And the, I think what you'll see from the Cuban American community is they uh, now want greater engagement and they want change. And these are their family members and they want a better life for their family members on the island of Cuba. As an outsider, Peter, I would say that uh, getting involved in the community, uh, it's changed dramatically. I think, and we could sit down with the numbers, I think the Trump administration, and it's not the administration, but his campaign side, I think they have completely misread the numbers uh, as to why they did what they did in Florida. For some reason, a few of these voices have uh, tried to convince them, and perhaps even the uh, chief executive of Florida is part of that group, have tried to convince him that this is one of the reasons that he was successful in Florida. And if you look at the numbers underneath, that is not what was driving it. In fact, there's an argument that his position, his change in position on Cuba actually impacted him in a negative fashion in a certain area of the state. I think they've misread that. Second, as an outsider going to Miami the last, well, since I started this, working with this, it's very clear that what used to be uh, a Cuban population, what is it, uh, about two million Cuban American patriots in this country, about half of them live in the Miami, uh, South Florida area. Uh, they, at one point in time, a decade ago, were all anti-Castro, pro-Barbara. It's very clear to me that that has changed dramatically, where it's probably closer to 50-50 now in terms of anti-Castro and, uh, and pro-Embargo. It's still all anti-Castro, but they recognize that this embargo has actually hurt the people that it was supposed to help. And the young people that are coming up don't have the same relationship. I, they, they view this as it's time to move on. And if you look at the polling that's been done, over 70% of Americans believe it's it's time to change our policy towards Cuba. 
hate to be the second person named Peter with white hair, table number one down. Not in the 39ers group. Maybe combined. But anyways, uh, uh, one of the issues that has always been raised in the context of you know, the embargo and free trade and so forth, that it would bring about an expansion, however slow, of human rights activities in Cuba. And the criticism, of course, is that you know, human rights capture continues to be bad, the regime sometimes moves two steps forward, one and a half steps back, and so forth. What indications have you seen that things might be getting better there than they were, say, five or ten years ago? Uh, the expansion of small business, independent small business owners in Cuba, uh, the expansion of um, an acceptance of the Catholic Church and other, other religions. Uh, there are fewer long-term detentions that what we hear is uh, more of the short-term detentions to break up uh, groups that that are protesting. That's awful. Uh, there, I mean, what is the, what is the more important human right than to be able to be independent and own your own business and control your own destiny, buy your own property? And I have seen market improvement there. And I don't want to go backwards, and the Cuban people don't want to go backwards. The ability for Cubans uh, to have internet access. They've made great strides in allowing that to happen. Now, one of the most uh, frustrating agencies is the one that controls their, on one of our communications on one of our trips, together with the Center for Democracy in the Americas, uh, we enjoyed meetings at the port with trade officials, with uh, foreign affairs leaders, foreign, uh, the, the uh, uh, who, who was Bruno? Yeah. Uh, and but they're, they're Tillerson. Yes. The, but the most frustrating meeting that we had was with the uh, the agency that controls internet access and freedom. While they have made progress, boy, are they defensive and they they do fear uh, Americans and American business coming in to to control the market. And they fear the communication. The uh, I, I did want to add something to that, though. The, uh, the first look at look at Vietnam, right? I, I mean, that was the discussion earlier. That look at the changes. You're not going to make the changes if you're not there. Second, I am worried that the policy has already got us going backward a little bit on the island. If you read some of the reports that have been coming out, uh, a, a handful of paladars were uh, were closed up, and all of their uh, all of their uh, chairs and tables and all their equipment was carted out, and uh, allegedly uh, one of the uh, owners was arrested. And uh, you've got this Diaz Canal, who is supposedly the uh, next in line to replace uh, Raul Castro, who is going to step down this uh, the next February. Uh, he's already announced that. So you'll have a change in leadership for the first time in a long time. I mean, it was a change from Fidel to Raul, but this will be the first time it's not Castro. And his, uh, there's something going around the internet where he was uh, making a speech to a, uh, a political uh, uh, gathering, and it was pretty strong in terms of returning to a more strident uh, uh, Castro, Fidel Castro-like uh, rhetoric. So I, I think we, we are risking going backward already. Peter, I would just add on that, on the human rights, I mean, Non-engagement doesn't help the, the process at all. And, and talking about going backwards, I mean, I look at Vietnam or Costa Rica or Panama, and you know, engagement 
or you look at Venezuela, right? That, that's going backwards when, you know, that, that, that's an example, not necessarily apples to apples with Cuba, but that, that's what you see happen when you continue to, you know, not have engagement and you, you know, uh, don't try to work with them. You know, the economics of this will help push it along. Figuring out how we navigate that, I mean, I think we're open-minded on how that happens and making, you know, step by step by step, but just uh, the immediate no and no engagement is not going to lead to anything that I think will be uh, helpful. Thank you all for coming. I was fortunate enough to travel to Cuba uh, before the administration presented some of the Obama-era policies. Um, I wanted to know, I learned over there that a large amount of the Cuban economy is supported by uh, Venezuela um, and their relationship with Venezuela. I want to know how, what has been going on in Venezuela has, if at all, impacted Cuba? Well, the big, uh, the big support from Venezuela, I wouldn't say that the economy is supported by Venezuela, but in the past, Venezuela has paid, has supported them with oil imports, and uh, the Cubans like to export their doctors and, and trade, but that's, that's gone. And this really should be a time for America to engage and press uh, to step in in all of the ways, culturally, economically, uh, greater people to people, uh, because Venezuela is, is on the rise. And I don't know that you can say that it, it supported their economy, because if you look at their economy, there's not much there. I mean, uh, we, uh, we met with the Department of Agriculture on my last uh, visit, and it was amazing. They have tried to encourage Cubans to get back into the business of agriculture. They've offered them, uh, and I, I can't give you the details, but it's a program that if you will live on the land, if you will work the land, if you will be there for two years and, and show this development, you will actually have the, the chance to get an ownership interest. They can't get people to do it. I mean, it's, it's a harder life, apparently, than just uh, living in uh, Havana and taking whatever the government will give you. So it's uh, in these uh, private entrepreneurs that we've met, that's the future of Cuba. I mean, you, you talked, Peter, about what you saw in New York. The activity, when they have the opportunity to improve their own situation, they're amazing. And I, I think that's really what it is. This, I was reading the policy. I love this when you read the policy. It shall be the policy of the executive branch to A, end economic practices that disproportionately benefit the Cuban government or its military intelligence or security agencies or personnel at the expense of the Cuban people. That's the embargo. They've literally written into their policy that we need to get rid of the embargo. Now, obviously, they don't see it that way, but that's really the future. Venezuela is having an impact because they've got to get their uh, their oil from somewhere, uh, but it's not, I don't think it's the, uh, it, it's the, it's, it's not like when the Soviet Union collapsed and their uh, sugar daddy, if you will, they were, uh, what, uh, subsidizing the sugar by 23 cents, 24 cents. As soon as the Soviet Union collapsed, they were starving in the streets. I don't think it's quite that way uh, with the relationship with Venezuela. I was born in Cuba. My parents fled in 1961. I lived in Miami up until three years ago. My father died five years ago, never went back to his homeland. Um, I'm another Floridian that is witnessing the embargo. Um, I agree with everything you said about the generation and the politics. Um, it's a select few. But where do you see the embargo going? What are the odds of getting the embargo lifted? 
Well, I felt much better uh, when the Trump administration first took office. Uh, I, I actually thought that we would have a willing partner because of what he was talking about with national security, etc. But again, I, and I mean, the tape's running. I'm not going to name names, but a handful of people have literally hijacked this issue once again because it's their emotional issue. And I can't put myself in their shoes. I don't know what their families experience. I'm a kid from the Midwest. I'm not here to judge them for their strong feelings and how important this is. They had property stolen. They had relatives murdered and, uh, and uh, tortured. We're not getting into that. We are now in the 21st century, and we are talking about where do we go from here. Uh, I, the vast majority of us, again, I, I think uh, if you were to get the two amendments we had uh, offered that were uh, ruled out of order, they, by the way, they would have passed when they were on the floor a year ago. And there was a negotiation at the 11th hour that uh, said, all right, well, we're going to work on something more broad or whatever it was, uh, and we'll come back to this. Well, it's clear that, again, a handful of people are standing in the way, and at Kathy's point, we got to raise the, uh, the importance of this issue to our membership, because you've got to, on our side of the aisle, because I think, Kathy, you can bring a lot of votes already from the uh, Democrat side of the aisle. On our side of the aisle, I believe we have a majority of Republicans who would vote in favor of these things. But you have this small vocal group that, again, I think Darren used the words, they don't want to deal with the controversy. you got to deal with it at some point because this is much bigger than a personal issue for a handful of people. This is about the United States of America, and it's about the people that we want to help, the Cuban people. I think it was Pope John Paul who uh, was the first one to say, an embargo typically harms the people you are trying to help the most. It's time that it ends. And tell me your name. Maria. Maria. Boy, your story is, um, I hear your story again and again and again. And do you have family in Miami right yeah. now? Well, yeah. I hope they're coming up here to <laughs> visit you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm very worried. Yeah, we're very worried um, this morning about Miami and, and all of South Florida. Um, and we need your we need your help to tell your story to to a lot of the members of Congress. Uh, there, part of the strategy may not be to just totally bring a vote to lift the embargo. I wish we could do that. It may be um, what uh, Tom has suggested that we target the travel ban, we target the agricultural sector, we continue to do more uh, targeted on manufacturing. Boy, NAM has been terrific in in helping tell the story of why it's important. Um, because underneath the big, big issues, we've made such great progress. Just a few years ago, you, there was no regular mail delivery between the U.S. and Cuba, 90 miles away. We could get a package, you know, to, to China, to Russia, anywhere, but not to Cuba on a reasonable basis. There was not, speaking of weather forecasting, the, we've made great strides there, and it's important today. It used to be the Cubans said, no, you can't, hurricane hunters can't fly over Cuba to look at these storms. You know, now we're cooperating when it comes to weather forecasting. Drug interdiction. You know, the Cubans don't have the big opioid problem or drug problems there. Uh, you know, they're hard line, but we are cooperating better in law enforcement. In fact, my when I returned from my first trip, there was this strange uh, circumstance where uh, a, a mother and father abducted their children who had been given to the grandparents because they were poor parents. They left uh, Madeira Beach, I don't know where that is, 
uh, in a boat. No one knew where they went. <clears throat> they absconded. They turn up in the port of Havana. Uh, I'm learning this as I'm flying back home from Havana to Tampa. Uh, there was no discussion between law enforcement. There was no, they didn't even have the ability to talk the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office with uh, the police in Cuba. So I had to get on the phone with my local sheriff's department and then get the Cuban ambassador on the phone and say, can you all work together on this? Uh, and that has changed now. They're cooperating in law enforcement, they're cooperating in music and in science. And uh, now we've got to we've got to make the larger step to move to lift the embargo, whether it's a big bill or here piecemeal, and we're really gonna need your help to do it. Maria, I would just add on that, I'm not optimistic at this point that the embargo will get lifted just from the rhetoric from the administration, and I think there's gonna to have to be something that occurs, an intervening uh, event of some sort, because you look at the conditions and threshold that the other side has put up, and they're really you know, unattainable in some ways of you know, prosecuting the Castro family you know, or holding them accountable in some way or making sure they're removed before you begin the conversation. I think that's a non-starter. That's not something we've ever seen happen in any other place. So, I, you know, I think it's it's a very very difficult uphill battle. And the last point, I mean, when you talk to the folks on the other side, yeah, to Tom's point, everyone has a personal family story, right, related to something that occurred to them and their family, their property. And again, that's I I can't understand that because I wasn't in that situation. And we we need to remember that. But at some point, you got to move beyond that and get to the the policy and the politics of, of how we move on. Scott, you have to be the last question because it's 9.15. Well, I can't even follow it up, so I'm just going to pass. Well, you all, this has been just great. You are spot on on terms of this. And any of you that should have the opportunity to go down there, you will see firsthand why this needs to be done. China is there big time. That's what all, all these are. And where are we? Canada. I mean, our, our great friends to the north. But that's say, say, Jim, before you close it. No, because it's something you have to know. When we went down on a visit with the president, when you rode in the buses from the airport, building after building had a Cuban flags and the United States of America flags hanging side by side from their little apartments and everything else. So it, it's they want us there. You do need to go, those of you that have it, so you can experience this first. And you fly through Tampa. Amber <laughs> <laughs> gets a little bit tired of my favorite commerce. Well, for your next trip back. Female back, politician of the year. <laughs> we, would, we would love to give you the uh, book on democracy by Condoleezza Rice. Uh, a lot of great stories on emerging democracies throughout the world. With our thanks, and thank you all so much. I know it was a late night last night. 1.30, I think they finally gathered everything there. And 10.30 with your last vote. But thank you for being here this thank morning. Thank you all very much. And your great staffs, thank you.